1: this is the john fuglesang podcast i'm john fuglesang this is series xm progress 127 welcome hello to everyone listening live our evil army of the night we love to hear from you all for the next three hours we're coming at you live and interactive coast to coast and our number is 866-997-4748 lot to get to Hello to everybody who's listening uh, the next day, on demand, on the app, on the Fuglesang podcast. We love you guys, too. You're always allowed to call us anytime, or you can always write us at our show's Facebook page. In the meantime, 866-997-4748. We'd love to hear from you. We got a good one tonight. There's a lot to cover. Oh, my God. First off, today marks 82 years since the attack on the U.S. Naval Base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, which led directly to the catastrophic movie Pearl Harbor. We must never forget the attack that led to three hours of of, of that. But I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot going on in the world today. Happy Hanukkah, first of all. Secondly, U.S. gas prices have now fallen to an 11-month low, hitting an average of $3.22 per gallon as oil prices drop below $70 per barrel. The United States is recovering from inflation better than all of our G7 allies. The House Committee on Education capped a week of uh, rather dodgy testimony by formally launching an investigation into anti-Semitic policy at Harvard, Penn, and MIT. They will not be looking into anti-Semitic policy by Donald Trump having Nazis like Nick Fuentes and Kanye West over to his house for Thanksgiving dinner. As of today, cannabis is legal in the state of Ohio. But its Republican legislature is already in the process of imposing sweeping changes to the law because they don't actually mean anything they say about liberty or freedom or states' rights. Uh, New York Democrats have now selected former Congressman Tom Suozzi to run in the special election for George Santos's coveted seat. Other Democrats are dropping out. Look for a big coalescing around Tom Suozzi. We'll try to get him on the show. He follows us on Twitter, so see what I can do. Tonight on the show, Isaac Saul is here from Tangle News to talk about the debate last night we didn't get to watch because we were doing this thing live. Also, Julie Franchella and Simon Moya-Smith will be here in hour number two with our Indigenous Voices segment. Still trying to find the right name for that. And in hour number three, it's Minority Report with the great Thea Harper. And for tomorrow's show, we're going to make it a very funny Friday. First, we'll be having a uh, uh, sit-down with our good friend, Saturday Night Live veteran, Rachel Dratch, Debbie Downer herself, with our friend, comedian Irene Bremis. They have a really funny new podcast that has nothing to do with politics, but really supernatural stuff. Uh, And joining us tomorrow night live via Zoom, TBS Frank, Frank Conniff. It's going to be a fun rest of the week, and we're so glad you're with us to be a part of it. Again, our number is 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Chris Houseltz, our executive producer, running this monster from the South Carolina studios. The great Thea Harper runs our show from Brooklyn. And we are so glad you're with us. Let's get to it. It's been quite a day. You might have heard about this story. It's remarkable because I think we'll be hearing a lot more stories like this. A judge today ruled that a woman in Texas can get an abortion, an emergency emergency medically necessary abortion, marking the first time there's an intervention like this in the state since before Roe v. Wade was decided half a century ago. You know, after the Supreme Court, which was packed with justices by Donald Trump, who lost the popular vote and put three people against the will of the American voters on the court, after that court overturned Roe v. Wade, the case that made abortion legal nationwide and for the first time americans had rights taken away from them by the supreme court texas got ahead of that instituting an abortion ban with practically no exceptions including life-threatening complications kate cox is the person we're talking about now she is a 31 year old mom of two she lives in texas she's 20 weeks pregnant her fetus has a fatal genetic anomaly called tris trisomy i hope i'm saying it right And it's a genetic genetic condition that in all but very very rare cases will lead to a stillbirth or a miscarriage or the newborn baby having incredible complications once it's born and dying horribly within the first year okay that's what this condition leads to if the baby's born at all it almost certainly will die within the first year. And if Ms. Cox stays pregnant, she could face deadly complications or lose the ability to have more children in the future. That's according to her legal complaint that she was forced to file because she lives in Texas. She was also experiencing pain during the pregnancy. She and her husband live in the Dallas area, and they hope for a big family. They already have two kids. They never planned on having an abortion. They never wanted to. Texas bans nearly all abortions. There are limited exceptions to address the life of the mother, but you've got to jump through a lot of hoops, and that's what this story is about. The laws provide some exceptions here and there if the health or the life of the pregnant woman is at stake. And abortion rights advocates will always tell you the provisions aren't clear, and it puts women who have complicated pregnancies at risk. These overlapping bands in Texas that outlaw abortions from the moment of fertilization and allow private citizens to sue others who help a woman obtain an abortion outside of the state. Any doctor in Texas who helps this woman, whose very future and ability to bear children could be in jeopardy. Any doctor who helps her risks losing their license and they risk losing their liberty because Texas is going to throw people in jail. For helping women terminate pregnancies this is where i have to point out that in all 50 states whether abortion is legal or not abortion is safer than pregnancy abortion is safer than childbirth i hope that doesn't make you angry i didn't make the rules now the very very conservative men who run texas say this law is fine it's got everything you need Medical professionals say not so fast. The language is so vague in the law that we can't provide care in many life or death situations because we're going to be terrified of having our hospital shut down. I mean, penalties for breaking the law include prison, for doctors, steep fines, the loss of your medical license. And her doctors are saying her health's at risk. Her, her fetus has no chance of survival. So this woman had to file. This woman's been to the hospital several times this year. Her lawyers say she's been to the ER four times because of pain and discharge. And the doctors had told her that under Texas's law, didn't matter how much pain she was in, and it didn't matter that her fetus would not live, she had to continue her pregnancy. This is America, one-fifth of the way through the 21st century, because a reality TV landlord, game show host, racist clown ran for president and came in second. Kate Cox filed a request for a temporary restraining order that would allow her doctor to get around Texas's very restrictive abortion laws. So basically, if a woman needs a medically necessary abortion in Texas to save her life, she has to hire a lawyer before she can even talk to a doctor. And again, I've never been pregnant. I've lived with pregnant people. It does not make people feel good. With a fetus in a fatal condition, it's a huge stressor. And having to find a lawyer on top of that and go through all of this? Shouldn't this be a medical choice, not a judicial choice? I mean, maybe I'm the conservative here, but uh, to me, the conservative point of view is that this should have been handled privately between the American tax-paying citizen and her doctor and not some government bureaucrats who live in the dark ages and haven't actually read the Bible, but they're pretty sure being a Christian means fucking with women's health like this. Guys, no woman, no human should have to have their name dragged into public like this. This should be private for this woman and her family. Imagine all the other women who are in the same exact position, but can't pay for a lawyer. So today, a judge in Texas granted her request. They will allow an abortion despite the state's strict bans. The judge is uh, Maya Guerra Gamble, Travis County District Court. And she sided with this 20 weeks pregnant mom of two, issuing a temporary restraining order. What that means is this will permit her doctor to perform the abortion her doctors say she needs. And the doctors will not face civil or criminal penalties under state law. Now, the judge, the New York Times wanted us all to know this judge is a Democrat, and she is. But she agreed with Kate Cox's lawyers that the procedure was necessary to protect her from a potentially dangerous birth and to preserve her future fertility. This is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness territory, folks. This is basic freedoms 101. And this ruling only applied to to Ms. Cox. They think that she's among the first attempts to seek a court-approved abortion since the Donald Trump clown court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. The, the idea that this woman wants to be pregnant and the law might cause her to lose the ability to get pregnant again is despicable. And the judge cited that when she signed the order. Now, this brings us to the Texas Attorney General's office, because they argue today against granting the order, and they are most likely going to appeal this to go to a higher court. The Texas Attorney General's office has said that Ms. Cox does not qualify for a medical exemption to the state's abortion bans, and that she should be forced by the state to carry a fetus in her body that has no chance of living, give birth to it, and wait for it to bloody well die. Because these men are so pro-life. And by men, I'm making air quotes on the radio. I'm talking about Ken Paxton, who is a criminal and the Texas Attorney General. You know Ken Paxton, right? Impeached this year by his own party, his own wife. This guy has the nerve to say that this woman has to endanger her life, her health, and her future ability to have a child. This guy is saying she has to go through a stillbirth or watch her baby die in its first year. This is all it's about, folks. Maybe these guys don't think it's about power over women, but it ain't about anything to do with Jesus. It ain't about anything to do with the Bible. And again, she has a clear-cut medical need to get an abortion. And they're saying she doesn't. Now, the Attorney General said she doesn't qualify for a medical exemption. Think about that. Consider how ridiculous that is. Imagine any other health care situation that any American could find themselves in. Any American having a, a a medical problem that's scaring them, and they have to go see a hospital. Imagine being told, well, sorry, but uh, you don't qualify. You can't have that done. The government has decided. That stem cell treatment? that could help you walk again? The stem cells have rights. Came from a fetus? Nope. A brain tumor? Uh, no, uh, sorry. The government says you can't. I mean, this is pro-life. It's about controlling women. It's about pretending you're being a good Christian. But the reality is the greatest trick Satan ever pulled was getting followers of Jesus to vote against everything Jesus ever talked about by talking about abortion, which Jesus never talked about. Her life is not yet sufficiently endangered. That's what Ken Paxton said. Her life is not yet sufficiently endangered. What is this pro-life man saying? We have to wait until she's in much greater danger, right? When she needs intervention right now, and then we'll file another petition in the courts? I mean, this is why the doctors and the activists are saying these laws are too vague. How much risk does a woman's life have to be threatened with? 50% chance of death? 75% chance of death? This guy, Ken Paxton, was just impeached. The Republican Senate acquitted him, barely. And he's going to be tried in court after many, many years of his securities fraud and all the appeals. And he's trying to destroy Planned Parenthood in Texas with a false claim suit. And by the way, that trial is going to be under Judge Kazmarek and Amarillo, the same judge who is trying to ban the abortion pill for all Americans. Texas is a trial case to see how extreme right wing Republicans will go. Children in cages, not a problem. Barbed wire in a floating river barrier in the Rio Grande to lacerate and cut to death Christian refugees trying to cross the border into this country got that. Attorney General Paxton called Judge Gamble an activist in his statement after the decision. And he said, again, her life wasn't endangered enough. He said, and this is the best part, you ready? He said the judge was not medically qualified to decide that Ms. Cox needed an abortion and that a temporary restraining order is no substitute for medical judgment. Literally, the medical judgment was this woman needs to terminate this pregnancy. And he wrote that anyway. Women in this country have to fight to save their lives. Women in this country have to hire lawyers so they'll be able to have a child in the future. If Ken Paxton wants to be a doctor, he can go to med school. But refusing to wear a mask during a pandemic? Well, that's my right. Refusing to be vaccinated during a pandemic that's killed a million people, that's my right. But aborting a fetus that will not live to save the mother's life? Oh, no, 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 no. That's our right to say you have no right. Right. Obtaining a temporary restraining order is the solution we face to the problem of women who need abortions in Texas. Uh, Lawyers for the Center for Reproductive Rights said in a press conference, they don't see it as a realistic option for people who are pregnant in Texas and do not wish to be, to be able to hire lawyers all the time. But that's what this debate is about. It is about right-wing people who don't know what's in the Bible, they pretend falsely to follow, who think... The government has a right to force American taxpaying citizens to be pregnant when those citizens don't want to be. Imagine if you had to give personal medical records publicly, on the news, to preserve your health and your future. These are death panels, folks. Pro-life means you're willing to let a mother die for the sake of a child who will also die a painful, inevitable death. Pro-life means willing to roll the dice... Because your faith is so deep that you will let this woman's other two children potentially grow up without a mother. This woman has to undergo trauma in addition to the physical pain and the loss of a fetus she wanted to carry and raise. And she has to contend with these inhumane, disgusting laws. Medical decisions should be between patients and doctors. That is the liberal point of view. And God damn it, that's the conservative point of view, too. The state should have no role in this other than ensuring that the people who are giving medical care are licensed. That's it. That's how much the government has to be involved. Now a woman has to be able to afford a lawyer for her doctor to give her care. (laughs) And this comes at a time when New Hampshire just introduced a 15-day abortion ban. 15 days before any woman knows she's pregnant. One of the most extreme anti-choice bills in the country. And they have a Republican trifecta. Governor's Mansion, House, and Senate. This is going to be law next month. And you'll see this law be challenged again. 15 days, men who will never have to make the choice women have to make are more than willing to make that choice for those women. In late November in Montana, some Democratic-aligned groups file paperwork to begin trying to get a constitutional amendment protecting abortion rights on Montana's ballot. Can you imagine that? Well, Democrats can because they've seen it happen around the country, even in deep red states. And this could boost John Tester's re-election bid because he's a vulnerable Democrat And you put abortion issues on the ballot in as many critical states as possible, even Montana, people will show up to vote. We've already seen it. This proposed amendment, it's not finalized, would prohibit the government from denying or burdening the right to abortion before fetal viability. Guys, right-wing people, left-wing people, we can blame Donald Trump for killing Roe v. Wade. I mean, the American people voted for Hillary Clinton. Trump got the job and he demolished a 50 year legal president. For the first time in our lives, the rights of American citizens have been rescinded by a Supreme Court that is there because of right wing court packing. It's corrupt, guys. They deprive Barack Obama of having an up or down vote. It's court packing. They fast tracked Amy Coney Barrett, which was the complete opposite of why they wouldn't have an up or down vote for Merrick Garland. It's court packing. And the Democrats let him do it. There's another case challenging Texas abortion law right now we've talked about that's brought by 20 women who have said they were denied a- appropriate abortion care but that could take weeks or months to resolve but no woman should ever be forced to seek a court approval to take care of her own health and this judge's decision is going to still be appealed by the state they've been aggressively defending their abortion laws because they pretend to be good people and of course I'll say this again republicans don't really care about abortion if they wanted abortions to stop They'd fight for birth control. They'd fight for sex ed in the schools. They'd reduce the number of abortions. They don't care. They want power, folks. It's all they want. It's the only ideology. They don't care about immigration. They don't care about freedom. They don't care about Ukraine or Israel. They care about power. And they believe they can always get votes with this issue of abortion. That's it. And now, pretty soon... Courts in all of these states that have banned abortion rights are going to be filled with thousands of lawsuits similar to this one. And a lot of judges are going to get really sick of these very vague anti-abortion laws. And you'll see this over the next couple of years. Every state Supreme Court at some point is going to declare these laws as unenforceable because they're so vague. Keep this in mind when you hear Republicans say they will allow abortions to save a woman's life. We'll allow it. We'll permit you to stay alive this one time. They don't mean it. Ken Paxton's proving it. They're going to fight it every step of the way. Not because they care about women and not because they care about babies. We goddamn well know once that baby pops out, they don't want to hear dick from that little ex-fetus. No, they want it for power. And if they beat up on women, the shitty fake Christians will reward them with votes. But I want to say one last thing, and I'll stop ranting about this. Every single person, every person of every ideology, every American, every human is here because a woman had to go through this the physical demands of pregnancy and childbirth, the emotional, the economic demands of pregnancy and childbirth. We are all here because our mothers sacrificed. We're all here because pregnant women sacrificed for us. So why can't we frame this by saying that we the people owe pregnant women the right to not be public property that bureaucrats control? pregnant women have a right to determine their future not bureaucrats the pro-life movement is the only part of america that treats pregnant women like they are public property deprived of humanity the republicans don't give a damn if the fetus dies in utero or right after birth they don't care if the mother suffers physically or psychologically or economically or dies they don't care they don't care how much money you're going to have to shell out to cover neonatal care. <laughs> they don't care. The only thing that matters to them is that they can brag they stopped an abortion. And that's what we call virtue signaling. We want to know what you think. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We'll be right back with Isaac Saul and your calls. This is Progress. Progress.
3: Freaker or wherever you get your podcasts on, because, you know, I love it when you do.
1: Welcome back to SiriusXM. XM. I'm John Fugel saying, hey, if you missed last night's conversation with Congressman Eric Swalwell of California, boy, you missed a good one. Dude just lost George Santos and Kevin McCarthy in the same week. It was great. If you missed it, well, good news is you can always hear it on Sirius XM, on demand, on the app, or uh, you can check out the John Sang podcast. Thank you, Congressman Swalwell. I think he's going to come back and join us again. All right. Did you see the debate last night? Did you watch any of the debate last night? If you were listening to us, you heard us joking about it, but we were on the air live. We didn't get to see all of it. I know that Chris Christie went after Trump pretty much nonstop the entire time. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy continued his ongoing mission to make everyone else on the stage look incredibly presidential. And Nikki Haley learns that she can just show up and not say anything because Vivek Ramaswamy will make her look presidential. But she was treated like a front runner. Everybody piled on her the whole time. It was a lot of drama. Uh, Ron DeSantis still wearing his human suit. But did it mean anything? I mean, it really was a battle to see which one of these four gladiators has the chance to be A distant, distant second. I didn't get to see the whole thing, but one of the best recaps came from our good friend, reporter Isaac Saul, who is the founder of Tangle, which is an independent ad-free, non-partisan politics newsletter that really summarizes the best arguments by both the left and the right on the news of the day. I recommend it if you want to hear what the intelligent take of the right is this week. Now, Tangle's been recognized by the New York Times, Forbes, The Hustle, Substack, and many others as one of the most successful politics newsletters on the internet. It's a pleasure to welcome Isaac Saul back to SiriusXM.
4: Thanks for having me, John. Always glad to be here.
1: Thank you. It's great to have you back. And I, I watched much of the first hour as we were getting ready to go on the air last night. M- my biggest takeaway was whether Nikki Haley's the front runner or not. I mean, technically, she's still in third place, but wow, they acted like she was the front runner on that stage.
4: Yeah, no, I think it's clear uh, from the way the candidates are acting and from a lot of the media attention that she certainly got all the momentum right now. I mean, Ron DeSantis was really supposed to be the guy the face down Trump one on one, and he's never been able to get his footing in this race. And I think some of the big donors like the Koch brothers and coming out in favor of Haley have really put her sort of front and center in the limelight. And it showed last night. I mean, yeah, it was knives out for Haley, clearly.
1: Yeah. And again, I I believe she's at what, 10.6 percent in the polls? Like, she's got one one, uh, one out of 10 Republicans like her. So clearly she's a threat.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, this is kind of the fascinating thing about all this is, you know, Trump has literally just said, I'm not going to show up. And it's done precisely zero to his credibility with Republican voters, which honestly is pretty disappointing from my perspective. I mean, I, I wish there was some kind of campaign on social media or, you know, a group of his supporters, anybody who said that, you know, they wouldn't vote for him if he didn't show up for a debate and put some pressure on him to to stand up for his record. And it's a very un-Trumpian thing to do, to kind of back away from the fight. But, you know, it's hard to argue with it tactically. I mean, it seems to have worked. Really These guys are all just eating each other alive, and he's dominating. Yeah.
1: I mean, I hate to say it, but is Trump not just smart to avoid showing up for this thing? He has nothing to gain and a lot to lose if he does.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's uh, it's disappointing as a voter and an American, and I would love to see how he would handle, you know, staring down some of his competition, Vivek, DeSantis, Christie especially, and, of course, Haley, who, like I said, feels like she has all the momentum. But, uh, yeah, it's worked incredibly well in his favor. I mean, they're all just beating the hell out of each other while he just kind of watches on TV and laughs, and his poll numbers seem to get better
1: every week. It seemed at times last night that there were really two tribes in this episode of Survivor. Uh, Three. Number one is the Trump tribe, which doesn't show up. Number two is the MAGA tribe, and that was clearly Vivek and Ron DeSantis. Um, who, you know, I think Vivek is there to make DeSantis look calm. Uh, Vivek was frequently nearly unhinged, and DeSantis, we could talk all day about how uncomfortable he is in just about any public setting. But on the other side, you've got this tribe that uh, I think we would call uh, what the Republican Party used to be. And that was Chris Christie and Nikki Haley, who were clearly the only relaxed people on stage last night. Um, Christie seems to realize that he has no chance of anything. He's just showing up, I guess, to argue against Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. By the end of the evening, I was kind of surprised that when Vivek went after her for not knowing the names of certain regions in eastern Ukraine, she wouldn't even respond and actually told the moderators it wasn't worth her time. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone say that in a presidential debate before, (laughs) but she just didn't take the bait, didn't even fight back.
4: Yeah, no, it was fascinating. I mean, uh, there was also that moment, too, where Christie jumped in and defended her And, you know, as she was taking fire from Vivek, said, you know, this is this is embarrassing for you. You're you know, you're attacking an accomplished woman, a Republican candidate, somebody who agrees with you on all these things and basically called him an obnoxious blowhard, which I I have to say was kind of satisfying to watch happen. You know, I, I actually happen to agree with Ramaswamy on some of his policy positions, but he's so unbelievably annoying in the way that he makes his case. And he's so unhinged about a few certain issues that it's it's hard to feel good about him when you watch him as a candidate. And, you know, I I, for me, what Haley did at the end actually kind of landed because I I didn't think it was I didn't think it was worth her time. And I thought it was kind of a responsible way to to reply to him, given given everything. Yeah, it was it's a hard thing to do. to bite your tongue in that moment.
1: She was sort of giving a real time example of um, how to know when to ignore your trolls rather than, you know, take the bait every <laughs> single time. And she did, she did it. I mean, I, I felt like, oh, I'm going to ignore people on Twitter after this. But Vivek last night was so theatrical and brought in so many uh, conspiracy theories. I mean, 9-11 was the inside job and January 6th was the inside job. I mean, I, it got so stunty. I was waiting for Ron DeSantis to take out his poop map from last week. Um, <laughs> Fox, Fox News clearly is cutting uh, cutting him loose. Both both uh, my old buddy Brian Kilmeade and my old friend Ducey have had it with Vivek and called him embarrassing, worst debate performance in a long time. It's clear that Fox News is not into this guy who's calling Nikki Haley a fascist neocon. But why do you think Vivek Ramaswamy is in the race? Do we know who's funding him? It seems like he's out there to just be a stalking horse for MAGA talking points and get his cabinet job at some point.
4: Yeah, no, it's really bizarre. I mean, uh, Christy made the the excellent point a few times last night that the race isn't with joe biden right now it's it's with donald trump and he tried to press them on stage which i thought was really useful to see to just say you guys did did you realize that we are in this against the former president right now we're not running against joe biden yet will anybody talk about him and vivek of course seems the most allergic to criticizing him of all the candidates on stage seriously which yeah to me is you know a clear sign that he's angling for some kind of position in the administration, whether it's VP or, you know, something that he can probably find some kind of reward on the other side of. Uh, He strikes me as a total snake oil salesman, you know, every now and then he blurts out something that I find really interesting. And I think he's on the pulse of a lot of, you know, important things about the fentanyl crisis, about a lack of a national identity in the country. I mean, he talks about things that I think are really important and resonant, but, the way he goes about selling his ideas are often so dishonest and yes. disingenuous that, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, and, and the stuff last night about January six being an inside job and the great replacement theory. I mean, that's some really dark stuff from some dark corners of the political world right now. And I was not thrilled seeing that get, get platformed. And I, I was happy, like you said, to see him take some heat from the Fox news guys And also to get booed in real time in an auditorium full of people who otherwise probably enjoy a lot of these ideas.
1: I I think you're right. I think we have to mention every time that, uh, you know, fentanyl when it comes to the country, it comes through the borders. People are not crossing the border with their families, risking their lives to come here for a better life. Selling fentanyl. Uh, It's not coming in that way. And they they no one wants to do anything about cracking down against the Sackler family for starting the opioid scourge. They just use it as a football. But I got to tell you, uh, Isaac, I was shocked last night that Vivek would just so openly embrace the widely debunked Great Replacement Theory. Um, I mean, like, he was praised by Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes put out a video saying how great a job he did. Vivek Ramaswamy said last night, Great Replacement Theory, which is the racist theory that Jews are encouraging immigration because they want to displace all the white people. Great Replacement Theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. Then he said it looked like the January 6th riot does look like it was an inside job. And uh, as I said, uh, notorious Jew-hating little Nazi Nick Fuentes put out a video today praising him. QAnon influencer Jordan Sather heaped praise on him, saying he's basically Trump's campaign's surrogate on the debate stage. It's awesome.
4: Yeah, it is. uh, It's frightening for a number of reasons. And I think one of the big things is, like, people need to Talk more and maybe address more the reality of of why we know the great replacement theory is pretty (laughs) silly and absurd because, you know, it's like you hear it. And I think for a lot of people in our country, they're they're so open minded to stuff like this these days because of the Internet, because of social media. Um, You know, Democrats aren't importing migrants. Jews aren't importing migrants because they don't have to. We live in a great country with a lot of jobs. Migrants want to come here. They're interested in coming here. So that's number one. Second is like, Foreign-born immigrants are actually more socially conservative. We see that right now with Hispanic voters all across (laughs) the country. If if Democrats wanted to import a bunch of migrants in order to win elections, or if Jews wanted to do that to get more liberal policies, they wouldn't be bringing in people from Mexico and Central America. They would go to like Sweden (laughs) or Germany or something. I mean, the whole idea is so backwards and absurd. But you know, that's what's really scary. Is it's it's very closely tied to all this classic anti-Semitic stuff. Yeah. And he's just blathering it, you know, in the middle of saying some things that maybe have some truth or real policy positions, which makes it sound legitimate, which is why it's so dangerous and damaging. I mean, that really, I was floored. That was definitely, in my in my opinion, that was the most abhorrent thing that he did last night. The January 6th inside job stuff is insane, yeah. but I get it. He's going to feed that red meat. To some some people on the far right and in the MAGA world. But, you know, that was just it was a bridge too far for me, for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's and that's what they say. You know, it was an inside job. All the people who hate Donald Trump were there pretending to be Donald Trump fans, trying to make sure that. Joe Biden wouldn't become president. All the Joe Biden supporters were there to rig the election by making sure Joe Biden really became president. I mean, yeah, there there <laughs> is one of the things I like about your site, Isaac, is that you always compile uh, pretty good resources on what both the left and the right wing media say about certain issues. Uh, I know that in National Review, Noah Rothman said a desperate debate ends in a draw. But what in general did the right wing media think about this? Bizarre trumpless debate. They're going to have two more of these just next month alone on CNN leading up to the Iowa caucus
4: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really interesting and you know that I think one of the things for me that's interesting is my, my personal politics are all over the place. That's why I run the website that I run And I think a lot of what I saw in the conservative media was sort of aligned with my own view Because there's a little bit of a divorce between what a lot of conservative media folks are writing and what a lot of the Republican base voters are feeling right now. And I think a lot of people in conservative media generally understand that this race is over, even though they don't want it to be. And so there's sort of this we're resigned to this you know, we're watching these candidates who we like for different reasons, eat each other alive. And this is all just going to end up with Trump getting the nomination, you know, unless he's in jail or something really insane happens yeah. between now and, and the end of the primary. So um it was, I think the tone was a lot of resignation to what's coming down the pike. And, you know, from the people who are really pro Trump, uh, I think they, you know, they're furious with Christie. They think he's a total traitor um they eat up a lot of ramaswamy stuff and they're disappointed in desantis who you know from a policy perspective is one of the most successful really conservative republican legislators you know executives that we've seen in a long time i mean however you feel about his politics he gets done a lot of what he wants to get done in florida and he is just a god-awful retail politician he's terrible in the debates and Terrible. the people who really care about his policy positions, I think, are just, you know, they're just bummed out that uh, it's been such a flop. Because, you know, six months ago, it seemed like this guy was a real competitor to wipe the floor with Biden. And now yeah. he can't even, you know, he's he's getting beat by Nikki Haley in a lot of polls. So oh, um, I mean,
1: Gavin, Gavin Newsom's using the guy as a toothpick after debates at this point. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not a great moment for him, I don't think. And, yeah, I mean, I think they're all just looking to what's coming in the, in the general, which I think is sensible because uh, I don't really see anybody having a chance to rock the boat. Again, extenuating factors like legal troubles and age and health and whatever big bombshell stories we're gonna get between now and you know the end of January
1: exactly right well we're, we're what like six weeks away now from iowa and politico had an analysis of the four gop debates so far and they found that with each debate the candidates have been more inclined to go after each other instead of going after trump who is far and away <laughs> the leader in the polls now of course we know that only chris christie who is the lowest polling guy on the stage has sustained attacks on trump is it because the other ones don't want to alienate MAGA? They're thinking about their future? Or, or is it because some of them are actually going for vice president? I mean, it certainly seems like Nikki Haley is in the front runner for VP now that Tim Scott has dropped out.
4: Yeah, no, it's, um, it's really bizarre and it's kind of hard to figure out because, you know, for someone like Vivek, maybe it makes sense. But, I mean, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, they're, they're running like they are trying to win this race. And it's so odd to me that they are so timid and scared to go after him. I mean, I thought what Chrissy said last night was right on the money, which is if you're afraid to to, you know, say the truth about Donald Trump, how how can we trust you to sit across from, you know, Xi Jinping or or Vladimir Putin if, if you won't even stand here and tell the American people what you honestly think about this guy? Um, and you know, it's not like there isn't a formula. I mean, this is the thing. That is actually so bizarre to me is that Ron DeSantis, I mean, he had a really effective attack line against him in in the third debate. He said he's a different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be here. He's dodging the debates. He should explain why Mexico didn't pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he got fooled by the deep state. You know, he keep Trump keeps saying the second time he's not going to fall for. You know, he's not going to hire the wrong people, all this stuff, which implicitly is a confession that he, he basically dropped the ball in his first term. And that's a really good attack line from DeSantis. But he's only stuck with it. Only only put that out there in one debate. He didn't repeat any of that stuff last night. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it baffles me. I mean, it—he's it, putting his whole political career on this race, and he's just afraid to go for it, which is bizarre.
1: Yeah, it—he just. Doesn't seem comfortable with the retail human parts of this job. He seems very comfortable with policy uh, and with maneuvering and getting things passed. Doesn't seem that comfortable dealing with with humans. Now, they, they announced there's going to be two more of these, like I said, next month. And they also announced there's new polling criteria for the next two debates. I mean, one of the reasons people think Vivek keeps getting so crazy with his stunts is because his favorability ratings keep going down. So he's just being very Trumpy and going for more and more outrageous. But it's going to be at least 10% favorability ratings required for Iowa and New Hampshire. Could that mean that we have seen the last of Vivek Ramaswamy in a presidential debate?
4: I think it's pretty likely. I think uh, if I had to guess what was coming, I would say and I, I don't love doing political prognostication. But in this case, I think the writings on the wall that Christie's probably dropping out and endorsing Nikki Haley, and that is going to keep her you know, above 10%. And I think it's going to be Haley and DeSantis and Trump if he decides to show up for a debate. That, that's what I imagine goes down. I think the, the last I saw was Vivek's averages were somewhere in like the 4 or 5% range, which there just isn't going to do it for him.
1: Yeah. So conceivably, the next debate, if there is one, could just be between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis.
4: (laughs) Yeah, which would which would be interesting, honestly. Um, Sure. But it would be really nice if Trump showed up. I mean, I would really love to see what that actually looked like. And maybe getting down to just the two of them would drag him out and he can announce that Ramaswamy is going to be his VP or whatever the plan is with those two, because they they seem to be playing footsies with each other and I'm I'm mm. definitely not convinced that Ramaswamy is running right now to be president. I don't I buy know.
1: That no, me. you don't think so, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Melania wants Tucker. Isaac. Oh, you, one, yeah. one last question for you. You know, I, I've been a bit shocked that Chris Christie hasn't done better in this process, and I do think Donald Trump might do a debate once Chris Christie's no longer on the stage. Because I will bet you any amount of money, Trump is terrified of being on a debate stage with Chris Christie, and maybe even with DeSantis as well. But um, why do you think Chris Christie did this? He knows that he has no chance. Last night, he called Trump a dictator. And it's very clear that you will not get the MAGA vote by doing this. Is this just Chris Christie trying to cleanse what he can of his place in history? Because he knows what's coming as a prosecutor?
4: Yeah, I mean, my certainly he knows he's not going to win. You know, I think there's a personal vendetta there. I think, you know, they go way back. They have a, have a deep and storied history. And I also think, you know, I have plenty of criticisms about Christie and being a flip-flopping politician and he's got had his own bouts of corruption and lies to the public. And Mm. there's so much (laughs) about him that I um dislike. And a lot of what he represents, I think is why Trump is succeeding. But I think he genuinely cares about and respects the law. I think he genuinely cares about and respects American tradition. And I think he's just an old school Republican from an attitude perspective. At the end of the day, and that makes somebody like Trump just so disgusting, you know. If if you hold those views, and I think for Christie, spending the money and spending the time—I mean, he's like he mentioned last night. I didn't even know this that he is. Uh, writing a book about ronald reagan right now so you know That's it's right. not like he's doing anything it's like, it sounds like <laughs> he's got some free time um, so you know for him i think the opportunity to try and put a dent in trump's support and convince a few hundred thousand americans not to vote for him which can make the right difference on. in the election is uh, is enough of a, a carrot to be chasing
1: Right on. For me, the best part of the debate was seeing that Megyn Kelly has completed her transition to becoming Queen Elsa from Frozen. Uh, Isaac Salt, it's such a pleasure having (laughs) you here. How can folks follow you and learn more about uh, Tangle News?
4: Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, the best thing to do is to go to readtangle.com. That's R-E-A-D, tangle.com. And you can check out the newsletter for free and read as long as you like. And if you like what we're doing, become a paying member and unlock some extra content and throw your money behind some good independent journalism.
1: Right on. Thank you very much for joining us. I really like what you're doing with Tangled. It's a pleasure having you back. Have a good evening. Thanks, Shane. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748 right after this. I'm John Fugelstang. This is SiriusXM Progress. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Simon and Julie. I want to get to your calls as well really quick. Here is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries earlier today, just given a little reminder from Democrats that it would be near villainous for Republicans to let the holiday recess come without aid for our besieged ally, Ukraine.
2: It would be...
3: um, irresponsible legislatively uh, for my Republican colleagues to decide that they're going to go home to celebrate the holidays when our allies continue to be um, involved in existential fights that relate directly to America's national security.
1: That guy could be your Speaker of the House uh, in about 13 months from now. Let's get back to the phones before we go to our guests. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Jason in Missouri, thank you so much for waiting on hold. You're on progress. Hello. How
2: are you doing tonight, John?
1: Good. How are you, sir?
2: Well, I'm good. I can tell you, I didn't watch the Republican debate last night. I can say with full candor, I was watching wrestling last night because Ben Mankiewicz from the Young Turks back in the day, most people may mm-hmm. remember him. Is he's now an old friend of, of mine. He's classic movies. Yeah, that's right. one of the better guys. He did an intro for a wrestling show last night. So I felt the need to watch something more entertaining than watch Who's Gonna Kiss Donald Trump's Ass. Like,
1: I have a question. At, at, at what point, at what point during, and I love Ben Mankowitz, he's been on this show many yeah. times. At what point during the pro wrestling match did you realize you weren't watching the Republican debate? <laughs> How long did it take? Exactly. <laughs> uh, it took me
2: about ninety seconds with pyro and more exciting entrance music that didn't involve a Christian band.
1: I once well, watched twenty what, minutes of a shark. I once watched twenty minutes of a Sharknado movie before I realized it wasn't the Sarah Palin press conference I was looking for. So I know how these things can happen.
2: <laughs> nice. I'm starting to become convinced of a belief, John. I'm Tom. wondering what's happening with Asa Hutchinson.
1: He's and still I'll in there.
2: I think it's happening with. He's Asa. still in the
1: race. Asa fifth place.
2: I'm thinking. I'm thinking he's the sacrificial lamb when Trump goes down in flames. What I just I've thought that before with Pence, but Pence was too busy talking to mother to realize what what had happened. To Wait him. a second
1: how is how is Asa so, Hutchinson the sacrificial lamb when Trump goes down in flames? I mean, that, at least tell me, Eric.
2: Well, oh yeah, uh, my belief is the RNC is looking for somebody to try to pull the Baptist vote, and he's the cleanest face because oh. you know if they go to the convention floor. That they've got to have somebody who can keep some
1: normalcy there, because yeah, Haley but they're not letting they're they're not letting him. They're not even letting Asa Hutchinson debate. You know, if they wanted him on that stage, they would rig it, and make the rules, whatever it well, had to be to get Asa there. They don't want him there.
2: That's what's making me. That's what's making me think that there's some kind of plan here, because they know there's going to be life after Trump, right? I mean,
1: that's what it is. (laughs) Some of them know that. Some of them don't think in these terms. And a lot of these, don't forget, you know, like the the Republican National Committee in Wisconsin is going broke. Like a lot of these states, uh, Republican parties are starving for cash because people aren't donating to the Republican Party anymore. They're donating to Donald Trump's PAC, Save America. And the RNC donations are drying up before an election year. Donald Trump doesn't care about this Republican Party any more than Kevin McCarthy does.
2: Well, I tell you, in the end, John, i got to believe that it's coming down to who's going to be the next one. And Nikki Haley's the most dangerous, but we'll see. I just want to set my two cents in, John, and tell you that Ben Mankiewicz had another job on the show last night.
1: Nice. Well, I love Ben Mankiewicz. He's a great guy, and he's he's a great writer, and he's done this show many times. Uh, Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it.
2: You're welcome, John. Have a good evening.
1: You too. grit Let me get one more call in before we hit our next mark. Lanson, Texas. Thank you so much for waiting on hold. You're on progress. Welcome.
6: Yeah, this is also the anniversary of when Greg Lake left us. And, uh, You're correct.
1: 20, You're correct.
6: 2016 is just a horrible year.
1: Let me tell you well, something. 2016,
6: 2016 2017, that whole. No, oh, well,
1: 2017, thing. we lost Tom Petty, but 2016, we lost Bowie. We lost Prince. Twenty, We lost Leonard Cohen. 2016 was so bad, it took Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda finally left us in 2016, but we lost, it, Betty, we Betty lost White left, left third, us in 2023.
6: We lost two thirds of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer.
1: You're right. You're right. Now they're the just is- touring as Ann Palmer. But this year, Palmer. I'm sorry. This year, I mean, and and yeah. half of them are friends of this show. But we we just lost Shane McGowan and Sinead O'Connor. We lost Robbie Robertson this year. Uh, we 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 lost Denny Lane, a friend of the show. David Crosby was a regular on this show. I mean, we lost we 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 lost the guy from De La Soul this year. Like it's been it's been an awful Someone year. Someone and- here
6: doesn't like your taste in music. I think.
1: No, man, the way it is is my taste in music when I was young was I, I liked all kinds of stuff, including older stuff, rock and roll that's pre my time. And this is the time I'm telling everyone just you got to be ready for your classic rock legends to start it's, leaving it's,
6: us. It's hard to believe it's not as it hard to believe they're all gone. It's hard to believe how old so many of them were because you always think yeah. of them as being young.
1: I do, I know. Uh, Well, I mean, not for me. They've always been older, but, like, Bob Dylan's always been old to me, but, like, 82, my God, the first time I saw him live, he was still in his 40s. And the same with McCartney.
6: On a lighter subject, uh, about Gaza. um, Please. You're familiar with the Tulsa Race Massacre, right? Yes, I am.
1: Uh, Yes, I'm familiar with that from my adult life, not from anything I was taught in public school about it, but go on.
6: Okay. Um, what What would you make of someone who... If, they, if you were back then during that time period, someone back then who the entire time that the entire black community of Tulsa is being murdered, their homes are being burned down or blown to bits, they're being attacked from the air, there's 6,000 of them, almost half the population is herded into detention centers as a place term for it, Yep. but... All the newspaper wants to talk about and all the media throughout the country wants to talk about is, did that elevator operator get raped by a black man? Yeah. As if, let's assume it's true, that justifies all the horrible things that happened afterwards.
1: But that's because all they that need. Would, that's ethnic cleansing. They just need a reason. They, it doesn't need to be a good reason. I mean, they they say that the son who walked in on Noah when Noah was drunk and naked and saw his dad's dick was ham and ham had a tan. And that means black people should be slaves because that's the punishment of ham. That was literally what Christians in this country used for hundreds of years to justify only, owning people to
4: be they
6: don't, of wood and drawers of water.
1: That's it. They don't need a good reason. They just need a bullshit reason for them to tell themselves, so they can hate whoever they fucking want to hate and pretend that God sanctions it. That's That's it.
6: That's why I I have to laugh at all of these, all these morons on cable news and on radio news and regular television news. The reason these young people don't listen to us and don't believe what we're saying is because of TikTok.
1: No, there's a lot of reasons.
6: The reason these kids today don't believe that exterminating how God only knows how many Palestinians, because supposedly some of the Palestinians raped some Israeli women, that that means that it's okay.
1: They're, well, let's be me. let's 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 be, hang on, hang on. Some Palestinians definitely brutally raped some Israeli women. There's no, p- p- allegedly, there. It's it was brutal. It was horrific, and and many of them are still being raped, and some of them were raped to death. So it has been monstrous. It is in no way giving anyone license to uh, have wholesale slaughter of Palestinian your, what your civilians. What is your source
6: for that claim? What is your source for that claim?
1: That women were sexually abused in this eyewitness accounts. I mean, every major media that has reported on the scene, it has not been disputed by any authorities. Women were brutally sexually uh, assaulted it, and, it and, and disfigured and cut up. And again, I, I care about the Palestinian people. Hamas are Nazi bastards. I care about the Israeli people. Netanyahu is a criminal gangster thug. I think both peoples the, the, deserve better leadership.
6: The, the the problem with your with your spiel there is the main source is Kokhavi, Akaliyam Levy, who's listed as a legal expert, and supposedly she did interviews with survivors who claimed that they were raped by Hamas. The problem yeah. is, one, she has a, her big area of expertise. She writes legal memos for the Israeli government to justify torturing prison inmates who are on hunger strike and torturing them while they're in Israeli custody. She also publishes photographs yeah, of this Kurdish is not, women. Who my were, friend, this who is not raped. coming
1: from, but this is not coming from just one person. This is not just one person reporting almost this. this source, is,
6: almost every source you look into, the, one, the article that's posted on the BBC, that's the one that's being thrown around, they quote her.
1: Okay, she but.
6: Posts but photographs of Kurdish women not, who were raped in Syria and claims that they were Israeli women raped by Hamas two months ago.
1: Okay, are you, are you listen, we can agree that throughout human history, Sexual violence is used as a weapon of war. We can agree on that, oh, right? Of course.
6: And by okay. the way, I'm not. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be shocked if members of Hamas did commit rape. I mean, if you're willing well, to yeah. I, people, I, think you're a strange, I, mean, I think you're choosing a pretty strange.
1: I think you're. I don't really understand why you're choosing this particular argument to make. I, I think you'll believe that they'll slaughter these children and and after, that they will disfigure bodies, but they'll be deferential enough to not rape the women. There's a there's a no, strange.
4: <laughs> Well, there's there's, there's, two
1: there's, at work there's one, no one out there denying there's no one out there uh, other than you my friend denying the sexual violence committed by Hamas during October seventh.
6: Uh, try, try the Mondo Weiss website because they, they go over this this quack's record the entire time. There are two principles. There, you one keep talking about that this that which one person is presented without evidence cannot can be dismissed without evidence.
1: Do you understand that there's no, been bodies was, that were recovered where the genitals were so mutilated they couldn't tell what the gender of the corpse was? I mean, this is not just one activist yeah, you don't like. Yeah,
6: can do that to human bodies when they throw graves uh,
1: there's them. Can I just I, jump I, I in for a second? I don't understand why you're... Yeah, go ahead, please. There is this
3: undercurrent that is kind of ta- really taking off online, and I've been thinking about it for days and days, and I don't get it, but there's a real w- willingness to... believe that large swaths of what happened on october 7th either didn't happen or are being blown out of proportion including the uh, sexual violence committed against women in the kibbutzes um including the rave festival as well i've seen people say that the the, the rave massacre was was a was a uh, that everything's a false flag that everything's a lie and when you get into that why is that And I think it goes to that people need it to not be true because it it, it then makes their support of that side a moral quandary. And then also, um, you have to really be careful because it almost feeds into an inherent anti-Semitism. It really does.
4: No,
6: it it, it means I don't believe something until there is proof of it.
1: Right, but what is, what, what's, what Andy, proof would satisfy you? But but my friend, what, really what and... my friend, what proof what proof would satisfy you? There were girls with broken pelvises at this I mean, music festival. I mean, there were women whose crosses and underwear happened. were covered in blood.
6: What happened when explosives go off? Well, I guess you could go on
1: the Telegram and look at the H-
3: Hamas GoPro cameras. I guess if you really wanted proof, I mean, you've
6: seen that footage. <laughs> so have, you, so have you? I mean,
3: so you think the footage is also fake? so and, and no, so I, you're saying the israeli police do you, do you think that they show no it, do you,
6: they show it to specially selected journalists especially to right wing mouth breathers you could go to te- on telegram we, and you could go to telegram and search
3: for it and look for it yourself
1: yeah, listen, I, I, you're, you're not going to get any defensive Netanyahu out of me. He's a monster. He caused this. He propped up Hamas. He did everything he could to keep them in power to make him look good. I am not pro Netanyahu, but dude, you're calling all the Israeli military and journalists and police liars and medical officials. I mean, this is pretty well documented, and it's only going to become the, better documented.
6: After the 40 beheaded babies hoax, if they told me the sky was blue this morning, I would want to see video evidence to prove
1: it. Okay so well, they, for you well, you will not believe so, so you will not believe the testimony of, of raped women you will need to see video evidence to where accept have they, these where
6: have they te- where have they given this testimony it's always someone who reported <laughs> that they heard from someone
1: the israeli police <laughs> and the israeli oh, military okay. as well no i Look, mean maybe somebody, maybe you're right maybe you're right race, maybe you maybe this person raped me no, you know you what? Don't maybe you're point. right. Maybe, maybe Hamas slaughtered all these men, women, and children, committed incredible acts of violence and mutilation. But maybe, maybe they're deferential enough; they're not going to commit sexual violence because they're uh, nice I in that regard. I didn't say
6: that they didn't. That they didn't do I, it. I, I'm saying I mean, no, you're certainly right. not. You're
1: yeah. certainly not saying <laughs> they
3: did. And also, I just want to jump in with one final point. Your original analogy of the Tulsa race massacre is a little flawed because you were like, "Well, what if this all happened and the people focused on uh, the whether the elevator operator?" Was raped by a black man. That's exactly how it went down. That's exactly yeah. how the newspapers handled it for 70 years, more or less.
1: Yep. That's so, how they handled
3: Emmett Till. He whistled I mean, at a white
6: girl. What more do you want? If, any, if anything, you're showing media that he
3: history-
6: I spent the last week browbeating Congresswoman Jaya Paul, even though she said she's appalled by any kind of sexual violence.
1: Yeah, she's also acknowledged right. that there was sexual violence. Are you disputing Congresswoman Jaya Paul?
6: On that count, until someone shows proof, believe it.
1: So no, when Congresswoman here, Jayapal decries the sexual violence, are you saying that she's being dishonest?
6: No, I'm saying she's she's buying something without being critical of it.
1: All right, just, all I can say she's 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 is, she's dude, that the, the, it, it took it took the, it took the UN to it, 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 it took the UN Secretary General 53 days to acknowledge the sexual violence. It's going to take a little bit longer for other people. I get it. I, I get where you're coming from. I, I I hope you're right, and I hope it's all lies, and I hope no did women you, you, were abused in this way. I hope Queen you're right.
3: Incubator story. Did you fall look for that one?
1: Look, no, John, I didn't Lance
3: fall for is, it. Look, John, okay, Lance has been burned well, by rape
1: accusations thing. before. All right, okay? he's, listen, he's I hope you're right. I Lance times. is right, Lance. I hope you're right, and I hope none of these women were abused, and that it's just a case of people being unfair to the Hamas murderers. I hope you're right. Um, I happen to think nice, less that of it. a straw man, by the way. It's not a straw man, and I'm not your enemy, pal. Yeah. I'm saying I hope you're right, and I hope that we'll find out that no women were sexually abused by well, these men are, who were murdering are, people.
6: Anytime, anytime there's military operations, odds are women are going to be attacked like that.
3: Well, does yeah, it matter? No, then why are you making this argument? Then? The so and, so you're having it both ways
1: now. Okay, I got, I got to go, Lance. I love you, but I got to go. I, again, I, I, I think it's great that you think these murderers are too nice to rape, but we got to split. My guests are waiting in the wings. Quick break, we'll be back with Simon and Julie and wash ourselves off in just one moment. This is Progress. Here's an unexpected announcement from President Biden today. Today I'm announcing my support for the six nations competing in Olympic lacrosse under its own tribal flag. Their ancestors created the game, they perfected it for a millennium. Their circumstances are unique and they should be granted an exception to field their own team. Something so moral that you know racists will call unpatriotic. I am so pleased to welcome back two of our favorite regular guests. Simon Moya Smith is an Oglala, Lakota, and Chicano journalist. He's a contributing writer at NBC News where you can read his thoughts on issues at the intersection of his heritage and modern politics and culture. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Your Spirit Animal is a Jackass, and he recently profiled actress Paulina Alexis of the Peabody Award-winning FX series Reservation Dogs for the Cut. Simon, welcome back. Hey, man, thanks for having me. So good to have you, and I'm equally happy to welcome back the the great Julie Franchella, who's an activist, artist, writer, and veteran mental health professional with over 28 years of experience in the clinical field working with complex trauma. Julie worked as executive director of a domestic violence center as a clinical caseworker for 13 years at a residential treatment center for indigenous youth and families. She is an enrolled member of the Ojibwe Bachawana First Nation Reserve. It is a great pleasure to have you back. Hello, Julie.
7: Hello, thank you. Um, And I just wanted to greet all of your listeners warmly on this first day of Hanukkah. And I hope the light of this festival brings us all closer to understanding and peace, peace, peace.
1: I hope so as well. I have to tell you, I needed to hear a little bit of good news today. And this story about the six nations competing uh, in Olympic lacrosse, not as an American team, but as their own tribal team, uh, where did this come from? This was so moving. Did you, uh, I assume you guys have been aware that this has been brewing. Oh, yeah. No, it's been a thing yeah. for quite a while. Please tell me about it, because I've, I've, I'm, a, I'm a gringo. I never heard about it till today. And I'm so <laughs> moved by the struggle. And to me, that a sitting American president would sign off on this, knowing how the racists are going to come down on him for it.
7: Yeah, I mean, it's into, a historic yeah. move. Yeah, President Joe Biden announced uh, his support for the Haudenosaunee uh, Nation or the Confederacy to compete under its own flag and in the sport of lacrosse. Uh, So this will be in the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. And this is so significant because it recognizes the cultural significance and the origins, first of all, of lacrosse, which was invented and spread by uh, the Haudenosaunee people. Uh, native to the areas around the St. Lawrence River in New York and Ontario. And just just to mention, uh, Robbie Robertson is part of the Six Nations, so this is actually mm-hmm. um, his nation.
1: Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I mean, Simon, it's great, but what, what can we expect? I mean, they won't be an American team competing under an American flag, but it, it seems like for lacrosse, it's it's one of the most pure expressions of uh Of nationality you could hope for in the Olympics
5: yeah and everybody has to remember that lacrosse was invented by the Haudenosaunee I know that we associate lacrosse with like rich frat boys right at schools right Mm -hmm. so but no this is a medicine game it was a spiritual game right and so we say Haudenosaunee because Haudenosaunee means the people of the longhouse we don't usually say Iroquois but it is a spiritual event, and it, they play for the welfare of the people, okay? But let's remember who the Haudenosaunee are. They're the ones that built the New York City skyline. These were the people that would jump from beam to beam, from like 50, 60 feet into the air. or And they would just like jump from these beams, and the Irish and the Italians and the Germans were like, look at those guys. And we to the point where the Haudenosaunee even had a neighborhood in brooklyn and a lot of people when they think of new york they're like here's the italian neighborhood here's the polish neighborhood here's a jewish neighborhood nobody ever thinks that there was a native american neighborhood in brooklyn and you can look it up there's a documentary on it i can't remember the name right now but it's about the hodinoshoni the mohawks who would be these these skyscraper builders and jumpers from beam to beam so waving the flag is a representation of their sovereignty that as i've said to you before we are American, but we're pre American. So we're American on paper with social security numbers, driver's licenses, but we predate the idea, even the idea of the United States by thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And even to the point where the Iroquois, the United States took the symbol of the bald eagle. From the Haudenosaunee, from their their Iroquois Confederacy, and it was literally Benjamin Franklin specifically, who was like, that's a dope eagle. We're going to use
1: that. (laughs) I mean, it's beautiful. Were you guys surprised that President Biden came out this forcefully? I I, want to say I don't know any facts, but I assume the United States will still pay to fly the athletes over there, even if they're not competing under an American flag, right? It depends. I mean, because as as separate sovereign nations,
5: we have our own sort, you know, there will be funds in some respect. But if we're going to be, if it's going to be the Haudenosaunee, I don't think that the United States would fund that. And we also have to remember that this isn't something where Biden is saying, I'm allowing you guys to do this. No, no, no. He's backing the hodenosaunee yes. because yes. it's the international olympic committee that decides. They have to finally say okay, there's Canada, there's the United States and then there are indigenous separate sovereign yep. nations as
1: well. Julie, it's did you want to jump in? Unprecedented. Yeah.
7: Yeah, I mean the, the the other thing too, you know, the Biden Biden administration just in doing this is just make uh making these historic efforts not just in this one um situation but historically um they're doing so much for the rights and needs of native american communities and just this just kind of underlines their commitment to um their to the native american um, nations here it's just i was actually kind of shocked i i i didn't think that this would happen so i was very very happy and um you know i just i was just so 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 proud
1: this is going to be generating a lot of headlines when the Olympics come closer, isn't it? I mean, this mm-hmm. is going to be what all the media fi- fixates on, and I think it's going to be great.
7: If you happen to be in New York City, um, they actually have the whole history of lacrosse at the Museum of the American Indian, and it's just beautiful. So, so check it out if you're down in uh, New York City.
1: <laughs> hey, while we're on the subject of sports, can I ask you guys, uh, last week we talked about that Chiefs game and the little kid whose face was painted half red half black and yet he was Mm -hmm. wearing a sacred headdress and people were debating whether whether the red face or black face were offensive and only you guys talked about how bloody offensive the headdress was um (laughs) is there any kind of update a week later where that uh story is going
5: oh yeah the the (laughs) the chumash those folks uh they came out and they were like look um no we we do not endorse this we do not support this many nations and tribes have come out when somebody who either claims to be indigenous or just doesn't know any better, they have to say they're not a representation of our perspective or of our beliefs when it comes to sports mascots. The majority of nations and tribes have come out and have said these are harmful, they're, they're racist, and we do not support them. And so that's what the, the tribe had to do. They had to file a press release just saying, look, we don't back that at all.
1: No. Julie, what did you make of the, uh, the Santa Inez Band of the Chumash Indian Statement?
7: I mean, I think most um, people who who are connected to their communities would assume that that would be forthcoming, that a statement would be made. Because there's so much debate in the media about, oh, is this okay? And then the family coming out and saying, oh, no, no, hey, don't worry, everybody, we're a Native American, it's okay. And right. it's just like, right. actually, no, it's not okay. So I'm actually very grateful Because it's not just Simon and I out here saying, no, that's not okay. You know, or other people, you know, the the nation, the chief came out and said, you know, the leader came out and said, this is not okay. So if Mm -hmm. anyone out there was wondering, you know, they don't support this. And uh, so I appreciate that they did that.
1: I love the language that they use. They didn't come out and, and, and slam anybody. They were very respectful and said, keep in mind the decisions mm-hmm. made by individuals or families in our community are their own and may not reflect the views of the broader tribal community. As a federally recognized tribe, the Santa Ynez Band of Chumash Indians does not endorse wearing regalia as part of a costume or participating mm-hmm. in any other type of cultural appropriation. Boom, simple, direct, right. no anger, nailed it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's... Yeah.
7: That's very that's very typical of you know uh, our even our elders, you know, they never tell us don't do something. They will tell us you know either we support it or we don't support it and it's it's our decisions, our decisions, but our decisions impact other people. so you know this this to me is is very reminiscent of the teachings that I was given you know growing up as well so
5: and yeah, they we get to choose. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you can choose if you want to be traditional, if you want to be Christian. We get the right to choose. If you want to have short hair, you want to have long hair. We get to choose if we want to live in a big city like New York or we're back on the res. We have these decisions, but we are not allowed to go out and speak on behalf of the nation or tribe unless we're given like some level of permission. Right. So I have permission from my my elders to, to come out and say, hi, I'm Simon Moya smith I'm Oglala Lakota. Here's what I think, but I cannot come out and say the Oglala Lakota
1: people, I can't do that. I can't speak on behalf of the the chiefs, the elders, the holy people. I want to talk about this really offensive thing that my old debate buddy Judge Janine said, but before we get there, Chris is going to load up the clip. I I have to commend you, Simon. You have an excellent piece this week uh, on Medium called Houseless on Their Homeland, about how while homelessness does plague all creeds and colors in the U.S., the unhoused indigenous population faces a very unique response from non-natives, just send them back to the reservation. It's a very painful subject to talk about, but we can't talk about the plight and the living situation of indigenous people without talking about the homelessness crisis and the indifference it has been met with by so many in power.
5: Yeah. And I filed this on Medium because I have a, on, on Medium, I call it the dead file. It's where I store stories that didn't make it anywhere. So I'll pitch it to NBC News or CNN or the New York Times or whatever. And for whatever reason, they will reject it. But the common rejection that I received for this article was that they're like, it's just another homelessness story. There's always been, you know, homeless people and there's homeless Indians. So what's new? And so, but for our elders, anecdotally, uh, they were like, okay, but there's been an increase of homeless indigenous people since the pandemic. The problem is when they count homeless. Folks, it usually is also by skin color. So they will lump indigenous people into the Latino Hispanic category. So the numbers of indigenous people is often skewed if it's not even there. So, but it is a very common response for indigenous people to hear when somebody said, well, they're homeless Indians and homeless Native Americans. Well, why don't they just send them back to the reservation? And the the way that just the language of that is aggressive because, first off, more than 70% of indigenous peoples now live in major cities and in suburbs. Okay. But then they say, you know, let's just round up natives and send them back to the reservation. And I have to remind them, you know, that smacks of the days when many reservations were established as prison camps. And as I've said to you before, my reservation is prison camp, uh, prison uh, number 334, right? But we call it reservation. So the unique experience for indigenous people nobody says like send the irish uh, back to boston if they're homeless in denver they don't do that they do that with us they say send them back to the reservation and they'll be fine well first off maybe they can't or maybe they had never been to the reservation that happened with the indian relocation acts in the 1950s mm-hmm. when the united states said shit we just put all of these Indians on oil and mineral uh, rich lands. How the fuck are we going to get them off? So they were like, all right, let's <laughs> get them out of the city or get them out of the reservation, get them into cities. Denver is a relocation city, Minneapolis, Seattle, um, Los Angeles. And that's why you get the term city Indian. But as a result of that, there was culture shock. They weren't around their languages or ceremony. And then all of a sudden, substance abuse and homelessness. Many of them can't get back to the reservation, and others, Aren't
1: going to go because they've never been right. You focus in the piece on uh Minneapolis, and you say while the the plague of houselessness in Minneapolis impacts all racial demographics, the city's and I didn't know this. The city is located near more than ten reservations and Native mm-hmm. communities, and sadly, this translates to a dense houseless Indigenous population in Minneapolis and across the state. Is it true that Indigenous people are only one percent of Minnesota's population, but 13 percent of minnesota's unhoused population
5: yep uh, that's by the wilder research they're a nonprofit uh, organization they invest in study uh, to improve human services and so that's that's not uncommon for that to happen i mean substance abuse has really hit indian country pretty badly and especially since the relocation but as one of a um an individual in Seattle with the chief Seattle club, they take care of the homelessness situation up there. They were like, this is a symptom of colonization before white people came here. We didn't have homelessness before white people came here. We didn't have hunger before white people came here. We didn't have all of these things that are plaguing our communities. And when they came here, they disrupted our, our healing systems, the way that we Mm -hmm. healed each other. So we're only kind of like learning now how we're going to heal our people because white people have set up this colonial structure where indigenous people can't just go to an Inipi, what white people call a sweat lodge. You have to go way somewhere by the mountains or far out into a field where before, if you were hurting, you could just walk 10 yards and then you can heal yourself. Yeah. And unfortunately, 10 yards away, may be a liquor store, 10 yards away, maybe a drug yeah. dealer. 10, that's, right. that's, that's what happens with colonization and what has happened to our people.
1: I mean, Julie, you Mm -hmm. talked a lot in the past about how there's increasingly large numbers of indigenous people can be found in in most major cities in America, which no one talks about. But relocation and removal policies have always related to high rates of homelessness.
7: Exactly. And, you know, um, Simon was giving some really good statistics. And um, I wanted to add in Canada, Native Americans or or indigenous people we will say First Nations comprise 4.3% of the Canadian population, but over 30% of those experiencing homelessness are Indigenous. Hmm. So that is a stark, stark, stark um, disparity. It's considering also Canada is among the top economies globally. So 30% of the homeless are Indigenous in Canada. And so we talk about, you know, this, we say from wealth to welfare, just how did Canada's economy end up among the world's largest anyway you know was it sheer pioneering pluck of you know the can do uh, Canadians hmm. exactly what has Canada done to amass commend and enjoy this wealth and there's a a, a report actually um according to um, this report from the Yellowhead Institute they stole it and the yeah. report's called, cashback and uh, a Yellowhead Institute red paper. And it actually details what can only be described as a colossal colonial theft, the proceeds of which Canada continues to exploit and extract. Adding insult to injury, not only has Canada built itself up by the transformation of indigenous lands and waterways into corporate profit and national power, but the report's authors argue it's forced a cradle to grave bureaucracy upon first nations in the process placing a stranglehold on our each and every need yeah so basically we talk about this result in uh, resulting in a zero sum economic game a game that canada has rigged in its favor to the ongoing detriment of first nations people yeah and when we talk about you know this uh, homelessness you know 60% of First Nations people in Canada don't live on on reserves. And the ones that do, or you say go back to the reservation or, or go back to the reserve, you can't actually do that. Or, or you know, some people, as Simon was saying, can't do that. But when you do, in Canada especially, the treaties are not being um, adhered to. So funding That's was right. supposed to be given to the reserves in order to use the land that we're on and use the resources that we're on and so the, the government has not been um, honoring those treaties. And so there's high rates of poverty and high rates of homelessness, even on the reservations, the housing crisis. Yeah. There's a housing crisis there as well.
1: And I love it in your piece, Simon. Homelessness is a symptom of colonization. I, I've tweeted out the article from Medium. Everyone needs to read it. Guys, we, we have a lot of listeners who want to weigh in and talk to you guys and ask some questions. Are you ready to speak with some of our evil army of the night? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Uh, Teresa in Washington is on line eight. Teresa, thank you for waiting. You're on SiriusXM with Simon Moya Smith and Julie Franchella.
8: Hi, Teresa. Uh, hi, guys. Um, I was. I read a lot of history and stuff, and every time I read about the the First Nations, they're always breaking the treaties with them. They yeah. push them off any land. That has minerals on it, like you know the Indian Removal Act that led to the Trail of Tears with the Cherokee. To to like uh, uh, even the Osage movie that's coming out, uh, Killers of the Kill- Killers yes. of the Flower Moon. I want to see that movie, but I don't think that movie is being told by a Native voice for Native audiences, like, like all of the other Westerns and stuff. Yeah, yeah they bring up the history and who's, who's screwing who and, and who's hating who and all that stuff, but it's, ne- it's, for, it's written by white people for white people, basically. Mm. And I want to hear stories that are told by the Natives from their point of view.
5: So, well, anyway, yeah, all well, those old is, those old westerns also are are stories by white people for white people. You know, all of yes. those old yes. westerns from the 50s, uh-huh. 40, 40s, 50s and 60s, that was they demonized the hell out of us.
8: Yeah. But my question is is I I can't think of any tribe that the treaties weren't broken from. Can you?
5: Well, not all tribes actually had treaties with the United States government. Some of them didn't. Um Right. I I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't tell you of a specific tribe where the United States didn't uh, or uh, the United States didn't fuck over a specific tribe. We That's why a lot of nations. I mean, the majority of us will say, you know, honor the treaties because the United States believed it was a piece of paper. And even today, and I've said this before on the show, that legally. Just like the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, treaties with us are living documents. You can use those in court against the United States. But again, with Standing Rock, they were like, we don't have, look, that was a piece of paper. That was a treaty that my grandfather, great-grandfather signed with your great-grandfather. And that has nothing to do with us. So we're going to drill, baby, drill. So when it comes to treaties, they're very quick to step on them. But to pinpoint a specific tribe or nation that can say, nope, they upheld the treaties. Good luck finding that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Teresa, thank you very much for the call. Thank you for calling, Teresa. I want to get to one more call if we can. Uh, Dave in Pittsburgh, thank you for waiting on hold. You're on with Julian Simon. Welcome.
9: Hello. I just want to say uh, thank you, uh, guys. Um, You guys have inspired me to look into my own uh, ancestry. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, I can only be an ally. I'm not actually First Nations. But, you know, I'm trying to learn my own... Uh, language, you know, which would be Polish and looking into doing Polish cooking and all that, you know, so trying to reconnect. Because when my That's family nice. came over, you know, it's like, you're in America now, you speak English. So we've lost that connection, trying to regain that connection. But, you know, you guys inspired me to do that, you know. But I do want to try and. It's kind of lovely. It's kind of nice. I know. Issues, go
1: you know, ahead. Yeah.
9: You know, my uh, friends here, you know, they uh, have some First Nations connections. They uh, have Cherokee in their uh, ancestry, at least that's according to an old, old uh, uh, marriage uh, announcement. And, you know, we got a book of Native American uh, folklore that we've been reading to the boys. And Mm -hmm. there's two uh, stories that stick in my mind. You know, I'm originally from Michigan, and I believe it's uh Chippewa story. That okay. When the creator made the world, you know, he put his hand on the world to pause it for a moment, to look at what he made, and he cried tears of joy, and that's what formed the Great Lakes.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Julie, do you want to jump in?
7: I, I I love that story. Actually, I'm from that area, the Great Lakes, so up in the northern... Uh, Northern Ontario. and um i I love that you're reading um stories to your your children about um you know, Ojibwe stories or Chippewa stories. And I think that's wonderful. And that is that is a one yeah. of the stories about the tears being that the Great Lakes. so Gichigumi mm. is what we call it. You know, it's mm. too, it what's interesting too. carrier.
5: Yeah, man. If you, I mean, look up all these creation stories, a lot of, a lot of nations, a lot of tribes. We have very different creation stories in our own languages. And I've said it before that the Black Hills Paha Sapa for us is where we came from. We literally came out of the dirt and, you know, our, our, I mean, I, I hate to make the comparison, but white people, they had Jesus Christ. Right. But our prophet was a woman. She's the one That's that provided right. us with the pipe. She provided us with our prayers, right? And so it that really that bothered the hell out of the Christians when they came over and we were like, "Oh, cool, you've got a guy. We got a gal." And they're just like, "What?" So creation <laughs> stories are really great places to start to learn about uh nations and tribes, especially, you know, our beliefs and a lot of it is associated with the land and then of course the stars.
1: Hey, thank you well, so much the for three the call.
5: Great Hope.
9: ways to learn about other people, you know, the language the food, and the folklore, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: Right on. Don't leave the music out either, man. Thank you so, so yeah, much for the call, Dave. It's a pleasure to hear from you.
9: you know, if people <laughs> want to come to my house
4: and they don't like America, I'm not cooking for you. You can leave. That's man. the end of it. I work too hard. Now, you know what? They say that we shouldn't be thankful for Thanksgiving because we're all colonizers and we should tell the truth of what we've done. Does anyone in this country not think that the Native Americans, that the, the Native Indian-Americans weren't weren't here first. We all know that. We all admit to it. They were here first. You can
0: watch any cowboy movie. They were here first. Okay?
4: (laughs) This
5: segment is epic.
0: Okay? And you know what? The unfair part of it is that a lot of them
4: live on tribal lands, which are not as nice as they should be. I mean, no one has lied about that.
0: So get over it.
1: There you go. Uh, Simon, uh, get over uh, uh, the theft of land and ethnic cleansing. Can you work on the genocide, getting over the genocide, please?
5: Jesus, no man we hear that about everything, get over it get over it, But it's like they want us to be the noble savage, right, and a lot of people don't know the noble savage, if you don't that just means that we just went with it we sided with the white people, we did we just, we we didn't do a thing to support our people, we supported them and their whole bible, we're not going to be a noble savage, we're not going to get over it, it's not something, genocide isn't something you get over, the brutality of indigenous people isn't something you get over, the land theft isn't something you get over bullshit holidays like columbus day and thanksgiving these aren't things we're just going to get over and they want us to do that because what they want they just want us to be that silent native they want our dream catchers they want our spirituality they want our language noble please can you be
7: noble
1: can you put up with
5: it Be noble please thank you right yeah and we're not gonna be (laughs) julie also
7: it dismisses the ongoing challenges that native americans are facing today and i just want to mention to you the last residential school closed in 1996. The last residential school in Canada closed in 1996. That is not the past. Also, 2019 was the last forcibly sterilized First Nations woman. So these things are still happening. So when you say, get over it, it's still happening, you know? No, so no. dismisses oh, that.
1: You guys are the best. I love this segment, and I look forward to it every week. How can our listeners follow you, Rick? Simon? You guys got me back on Twitter or X, so
5: you can find me there at Simon Moya Smith or on Instagram at Simon Said Take A Pick. And we keep
1: pulling you back in. Miss Julie <laughs> Franchella, how do we follow you?
7: You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Julie Franchella, and I have a website, juliefranchella.com. And thank you so much.
1: Thank you guys so much. Little Stephen Van Zandt is tweeting about this show because of this segment. You guys are the best. This is progress.